Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening, wherever you are in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stephen B's Media Production presents what? The Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host, Stephen R. Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stephen B. Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina with my co-host, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Corder from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnston from the state of Florida, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713 955 Zero five zero eight, or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there. I just checked it before we came on the air, and you will find this show on page two of that website. Now, I just came on the air, so they probably moved it up to page one. Now, I'm not saying that's what they did because I hadn't looked at it again, but that's normally how they do it, all right? If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts, you can uh, send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can just call me at Stevie B's Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine 
word. Father, we pray that you will be my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington and Courtney Carruthers, as they break into our listeners, the bread of life. And also my co-host, Steve Carter, who will be answering our question uh, that will be answering our question that's on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you will bless them and their families that support their efforts, that they may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will be with our listeners who are tuning in to this broadcast via Blog Talk Radio, as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you, and that their hearts may be pricked, and it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do? to be saved. Father, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're just so grateful for his precious sacrifice on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful until death, Father, we pray that you will save us. For us in Christ's name, we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. In the first segment of the broadcast, my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington, he serves with the West Broward Church of Christ there in Plantation, Florida. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, my, I have a question from my shout-out platform on social media, Facebook. I'll be posing to my co-host, Steve Cordell. He serves with the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. And to close out the show, my co-host, Courtney Carruthers, he serves as the evangelist for the Colonial Village. Church of Christ there in Chicago, Illinois. He'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice you'll be that of my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Yeah. 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co host, Dr. Frank Washington from the West Brower Church of Christ. Thank you, Brother Stevie. I appreciate the hard work that you do in putting uh, forth this opportunity for uh, many of us to express and proclaim our faith. Uh, in Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for all the hard work that you do behind the scenes, and may God continue to bless you, and may he bless you uh, real good. Stevie, in in the uh, latter part of your uh, opening, you asked the audience to open their Bibles and to open their minds. Uh, That leads me into the subject that I'll be talking about uh, on tonight just for a few minutes. Uh, and it is biblical interpretation. Uh, biblical interpretation is very, very, very important if we want to know and understand uh, what the Word of God says. Uh, if you listen to the wise warning from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, uh, and I quote, there is nothing so dangerous as to come to the Bible with a theory, with a preconceived idea, with some pet idea of your own, some cultural bias, because the moment we do so, we shall be tempted to overemphasize one aspect and underemphasize another in this day-to-day study, end quote. Uh, This study is intended for all levels of Bible students. If you are a a Bible student or want to become a Bible student, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, uh, it says, so enjoy your studies and do not do your best to present yourself as one approved of God by rightly handling the word of truth. So the beginner in Bible study uh, should read uh, 
their Bibles without getting too hung up on any technical details. Uh, The main focus of this point is in reading the Bible along with some basic background material. So once you're comfortable with basic knowledge of the Bible, uh, you'll be ready to go uh, a little deeper. I didn't understand what it meant to really study the Bible uh, until way later on in in, in my ministry. Uh, Some of y'all said, no, that's not true. We know who your dad is. I said, yeah, but you have to study the Bible for yourself. And in order for you to make sure that you can rightly divide the word of truth, it's good to hear great preachers and teachers and pastors and uh, theologians talk about the Bible and teach you the Bible. But you yourself, I had to know the Bible for myself. So with that being said, for more advanced students, we obviously can't provide the level of detail that can be found in, in a lot of good books. However, Uh, The intent today, tonight, is to provide a good overview. I won't be able to get into everything, but it's just a general overview of Bible interpretation principles and methods that I believe everyone should know in order to study the Bible and understand the Bible uh, as we should. So we hope to pass on some basic knowledge that will greatly, greatly, greatly enhance and enrich your Bible study, and we hope that you study your Bibles daily, and provide a firm foundation for those who are interested in further study uh, of interpretation techniques. Now, in developing proper Bible interpretation skills involves careful and diligent work. There's no doubt about it. It involves careful and and diligent work. It requires an understanding uh, of the original languages, It requires the historical background of Bible times, uh, a working knowledge of theology, grammatical uh, aptitude, and, you know, a whole grasp of whole context of Scripture. Now, that being said, don't panic, you know, or get discouraged, and and don't turn off the, the radio. We're all at a various stage of understanding. All of us are. From me to people in the pew, it doesn't really matter. thing is simply to begin or to continue consistently in your progress. Now, focus on the process rather than the end result. So actually what I mean is we never reach the end until we quit or die. Now, even the most brilliant scholars and theologians never truly master the Holy Scriptures. For example, um, the vast majority of advanced Bible students, including most pastors and teachers, Uh, And evangelists simply don't have the time to perform detailed word studies of the original languages from scratch. So many times we often depend on lexicons, commentaries, and and word study books, and, and so on and on. But there are also many other great resources to help us along so that we are never alone uh, in our studies. So there are a few things in life more rewarding than a study of God's word. So enjoy your studies and do your best to present yourself as one approved of God by rightly handling the word of truth. And always, we welcome your comments uh, and suggestions to uh, our Bible study. Now, there are some things that we want to uh, go over today, uh, tonight, and one of them is the authors in studying the Bible interpretation Uh, The author's intent 
and pattern of meaning. That's, that's, that's the one thing that you want to make sure that we understand is the author's intent and pattern of meaning. Because the meaning and implications of the Bible text belongs to the author, and it does not belong to the reader. A text cannot mean anything that contradicts or contrasts with what it meant to the original author. What does that mean? The meaning intended by the author cannot change. As a matter of fact, it's locked in past history. However, there can be additional patterns of meaning of which the human author may or may not be uh, unaware. Now, we have to emphasize that there's no separate meaning that are added to the original, but additional applications due to the changing cultures throughout history, including our own modern times, uh, that's where we're looking at. Now, the patterns can never alter uh, nor contrast with the original meaning. The, 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 the good example is Paul's prohibition of getting drunk on wine, Ephesians 5.18. Now, a study of the context reveals the intention to be that the reader be controlled by the Holy Spirit rather than a foreign substance. That could be anything. That could be wine. It could be drugs. But that is a passage's pattern of meaning that includes a prohibition against getting drunk on anything other than uh, the influence of the Holy Spirit. So our application of the term author's original intended meaning or variances thereof include both the original intended meaning of the human author and the patterns of meaning as perfectly willed by the Holy Spirit. Now, we must, however, keep in mind that we are merely illuminated by the Holy Spirit to interpret the author's meaning of the scriptures. We are not inspired by the Holy Spirit to read our own meaning into the scriptures. Amen. So we also retain the responsibility not only to uh, properly interpret the scripture, but also to apply it uh, according to our lives. One of the things that I have learned you know, in my ministry is uh, these three words, context, context is traditionally divided into two categories, historical, which is the situation surrounding the events, and logical, uh, thought development. Now, here's uh, here's, here's a context for you. Um, Most of us, including myself, have probably heard somebody, probably, you know, you and me, apply Romans 8, 28, something like this. Yes, uh, you may have lost your job, but you can be sure uh, of getting a better one because all things work together for good. Or you might hear someone say, oh, don't be upset about your fiancé or uh, your, your, your uh, romance breaking off your engagement because God must have an even better life partner for you because all things work together for good. Well, okay. But Romans 8.28 promises the difficulty with this application is that it interprets good from a narrow and often materialistic perspective. So from, but, but, but from God's perspective, good must be defined in spiritual terms. 
the ultimate good is God's glory. And he is glorified when his children live as Christ did uh, and attain the glory that he has destined for them. So this is a serious misunderstanding about Romans 8.28. So as you see, and if you have your Bibles open, if you look at um, Romans chapter 5, 3 through 4, God uses suffering to build Christian character in us, conform uh, us to Christ, and prepare us for final glory, all right? So what he promises us in 828 then is not that every difficult experience or every difficult situation will lead to something good in this life. It doesn't. The good God may have in mind may involve the next life entirely, okay? He may take us out of a secure, well-paying job in order to shake us out of a materialistic lifestyle that does not honor the biblical priorities, and we may never have a good job again. Now, he may want us, uh, he may want to set us free uh, from an engagement to be married because he wants us in a ministry that would be difficult or impossible for a married person. So remember uh, that it is by sharing in Christ's suffering that we eventually will be able to share in his glory as well. Now, this is not to say that material blessings cannot be included in the good of Romans 8.28, because as the Old Testament especially makes clear, God delights to give his people good things in this life as well as in the next. So in an effort to avoid materialistic interpretation of 8, Roman 8.28, we must not succumb to the opposite uh, extreme of denying God's intent in the material world. And that is the context of 8.28. Many times us in the COC, we use verses uh, that sound good, but the context does not agree with what we, uh, what we think it does. Uh, I believe the one that I used once before was uh, – Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. You know, preachers use that one to talk about, you know, there's only one church. And, okay, all right. But that's not the context of the verse. That context of the verse is talking about a family. It is talking primarily in that context about a family. So context, context, context is vitally important. Now, let's get to the historical context. What context? What is historical context? The historical context, my friends, provides us with the author, it provides us with date, original audience, purpose, theme, on and on, other important information about historical background settings of the book. Now, probably the best source to consult for this information uh, uh, is the introduction sections of, of better commentaries, if you have one. But choose one that's up to date and contains the latest archaeological discoveries. Um, also check out introductions to the Old and New Testament uh, sections such as the Pentateuch or the Epistles. Now, other sources are dictionaries, and I don't mean Webster. I mean good biblical strong dictionaries, and I can get those, you know, information to you uh, maybe at, a, at another time. But remember, we're looking for broad outlines rather than fine details at this point. And then we look at the logical context, which is the inductive context. We can use the logical or inductive approach, the inductive Bible study, which I think I've talked about once before on this program, beginning with the particulars uh, uncover the universals. So to determine the, the inductive approach 
determines the thought process of a book and how it influences the meaning of a particular passage. So we look for parallels with other scriptures, type of literature, the genre, the flow of the narrative. Now, these techniques within the approach includes uh, charting the book and diagramming the summarize and summarizing the paragraphs. In selecting resources, we want to be we want to be sure that we should research our text in order of its importance or relationship to our subject text. Once we add something else to it, uh, it, it it's going to dilute and adulterate your uh, your study. So we should start with the verses surrounding our text, then adjacent chapters, uh, and then uh, in the rest of the book. Finally, we might uh, consult commentaries, writing. Uh, the, of the church fathers, church uh, and historian. But watch for the following in determining context. Number one, notice the placement of the text, why the author included it, where he put it. Two, a gap in time, or maybe uh, a change in place or setting will often indicate a new context, particularly in, in, in the narrative writing. Um, the author may dwell on a certain event, subject, or maybe a person, uh, a repeated term or phrase that acts uh, as a heading. When you see a, a word that's being repeated over and over again, there's a reason for that, and you have to study that to introduce to a new topic, or uh, that acts as a summary possibility indicating that the author is about to switch uh, subjects. Uh, but there's, a, there's a, a lot of other things in here. Change in the tense or mood of a verb uh, that may indicate a new section or a rhetorical question will often indicate the start of a new argument. Now, I can hear some of your brains clicking out there saying, you, do, we, do we have to know all of that stuff? Well, you don't have to know all of it right away. But what you do want to understand is what was in the author's mind when he wrote it? What was his mood? What was the tense? Of the author, what's the, the the mood of a verb that he used? Why did he use this word so many times in this passage? Or what is the rhetorical question? Why did he ask that question? Those are important to understanding what you're reading. So I hope I haven't sent you all off too far. But here, here's the few other things. Pay attention to paragraphs. Pay attention to paragraphs. Now. We recommend, I recommend, using a Bible that separates the text by paragraphs. Now, I'm sure many of you know, you gospel students or Bible students, that the original uh, inspired text did not contain chapters and verse divisions. No, ma'am and no, sir, it did not. Chapter divisions are something common that we use today were originally developed in the early 13th century uh, by several other, uh, Stephen uh, Langdon, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury. But in addition to all of that, uh, both the chapter and the verse divisions were often chosen poorly, and it, 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 it does not give us justice when you read it the way it's, re it's, it's written in most of our Bibles. So what, do I, what am I suggesting here? That find yourself a Bible that gives you the passages in paragraph form. Uh, the paragraph, rather than the chapter and verses, shouldn't be our starting point to proper divisions of thought. 
So try to find your Bible back in. And, and there are Bibles that will give you uh, the paragraphs. It will give you the thought, and then it will go into another thought, and you will see it diagrammed uh, before each or before the verse or before before each chapter. So that said, we should also note that since the original text was not divided into paragraphs, we should ultimately evaluate each entry in the context of surrounding scripture and uh, the whole. Uh, next, you want to recognize that many words have multiple meanings. Uh, that word salvation does not mean salvation in every passage of the Bible. Many controversies have developed due to the failure to heed this warning because a good dictionary or lexicon can come in handy in determining the original intended meaning of a word. One category of words can cause particular problems, but those uh, which have become doctrine sometimes referred to as technical terms. So regarding the doctrine of salvation, for example, uh, the, the word salvation, old and new, means something, can mean something totally different throughout its, its meaning. For example, we sometimes tend to read the full-blown meaning into every occurrence uh, of the word salvation or saved. When the author may be speaking of a rescue or a deliverance from a lesser calamity than eternal death. Now, another cause or another case uh, is that of sanctification, which can be equated with the moment of justification found in Romans 6 and with the process of spiritual growth elsewhere. So it's important. To, what am I saying? It's important to understand uh, word study. Salvation in one verse in the New Testament may mean something totally in another verse uh, later on in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. So watch out for uh, these words that have multiple meanings. Uh, watch out for slang. Anyone with a teenager can attest to the fact, and I got two, that the, new, the nuance of language can change, and you know the language can change. The Bible contains some slogans of the day which would be unfamiliar to us. And a good Bible commentary or uh, uh, dictionary or handbook uh, can come in handy uh, for those things there. Now, next is distinguish between timeless principles and culturally specific mandates. What does that mean? Well, many of these can often be a challenge dealing with specific cases such as um, women's head covering in church. Uh, that's beyond the scope of, the, uh, of this lesson. But we can offer a couple of suggestions. Generally, uh, to find the timeless principles, uh, look to the Bible's core message. These messages can, that stay consistent across the multiple time periods and cultures and uh, the inherently moral or immoral issues and those which those are related to creation and the actions that are consistently and expressly accepted or forbidden. Now, topically, we find the, the permanent, unchanging message in scripture that is the consistent message behind a certain doctrine within all its occurrences for example in the doctrine of the atoning sacrifice for salvation uh, the form changes from the animal sacrificial system in the old testament to the cross in the new testament and the unchanging permanent message is the need for a substitute substitutionary sacrifice for our sin and then regarding application, 
whenever we see or whenever we share similar life situations with the original audience of the scripture, God's word for us should be the same for us as it was to them. So when we find ourselves in situations foreign to the original audience, not one addressed in the Bible, we should pray and apply uh, the general Bible principles uh, to our situation. So what do you look for during your Bible study? Here's a few things you can look for when reading your scripture and uh, asking you know, questions that we uh, mentioned earlier. One is a special message from God today. Is there a message? Uh, this is going to vary because uh, based upon the scripture that we're studying and our participation situation and in our current needs. Uh, then you may uh, look at a command to keep. Is it command to keep? God gives us these commands for our benefit. As Adrian Rogers always said, when God says thou shalt not, he means don't hurt yourself. And when he says thou shalt, he means help yourself to a blessing. Now, that's a little humor, but you understand what I mean, I hope. Then there's the promise from God. We find these throughout scripture, but not every promise Not every promise is for us personally. Now, I know we gravitate toward promises, saying this promise is for me. Well, it may not be for you. Not to say that you cannot employ that in your daily walk, but some of these promises are not for us personally. We need to check the context, context, context. Some are for Israel and some are for the future. And there's also some promises that we don't want, promises of judgment or for unbelievers. Uh, We should also note that there are um, uh, any conditions attached to the promise. For example, God promises to the faithful to forgive our sins if, if, if we confess them. And finally, here's uh, the application for my life. What does, what does the study supposed to do overall? Well, After we found a specific message or a topic or subject that uh, we have studied, that special message, command, or promise, or principle, we should ask ourselves, how can I apply this to the area of my life? Is this going to make my life better? That study is how you study, and that's the benefit of the study of God's word. And it's not just for obtaining knowledge, but it is a practical tool, my friend. If properly applied, it will, and I believe this wholeheartedly, it will change your life. I hope this lesson has been helpful for you. I know I didn't do any gospel messages or anything like that. I just wanted to be able to help you to understand how to study your Bible, to be a better student uh, of your Bible Study so that when you open your mind, when Stevie says open your Bibles, open your mind, you know exactly what he's talking about because you're looking for context, context, and context. May God bless you, uh, and may he bless you real good. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Sometimes it gets hard down here, Lord. Sometimes it gets rough, so rough, so rough. 
Of being light on 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a question from my social media platform called Shout It Out that I want to pose to my co-host Steve Cordell this evening. He, Steve serves with the, he serves as an evangelist with the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. And we also want to encourage our listeners to go to that uh, group there on Facebook and join that group and get involved in those biblical discussions. Now, the question that we have here is from an anonymous querist, and the question, the query says, will a man with a good heart doesn't steal, cheat, and doesn't lie, burn in hell if they don't accept Jesus? Do ultra-religious Christians believe that? What say you to this question, Steve? And good evening, Stevie, and welcome to everybody listening to the broadcast on the Blog Talk Radio platform or wherever you happen to be listening. Thank you again, Stevie, for having me on the program. Now, this question this uh, this evening that I'm going to be dealing with actually comes up fairly frequently in a couple of different forms. Uh, one form uh, typically has to do with atheists and whether or not God would accept them into heaven after a lifelong uh, uh, after living a life of unbelief. Uh, after all, the saying goes, or the thinking goes, that if God is a forgiving God, he should forgive me for not believing in him. And this question is sort of along the same lines. Uh, will a man with a good heart doesn't steal, cheat, and doesn't lie, burn in hell if they don't accept Jesus? Do ultra-religious Christians believe that? Now, this is along the same lines in that this looks like it could be somebody who might believe in Jesus but just hasn't become a Christian. Uh, on the other hand, it could be referring to someone who's an atheist. But the idea here, obviously, is that someone who is living a good life, what we humans would consider a good life anyway, basically an honest person, good-hearted, is he going to go to hell? Well, what does the Bible say? It doesn't matter my opinion or your opinion or anybody else's. Let's see what the scriptures have to say. Now, with we have to start off looking at the fact that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering, which means really super patient, toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And then Paul uh, told Timothy in uh, chapter 2 of his uh, first letter to Timothy, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now watch this. This is verse 4. He says, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He is not willing that any should perish. And we have to remember that the, the last act Jesus did before ascending back to heaven, he uh, told the disciples, Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we are to go out and teach 
the gospel. We are to tell people that God is not willing that anybody should perish. He wants all men uh, to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, no, this is John 3.16, arguably the best-known text in the Bible, at least in the New Testament. Uh, now, notice, whoever believes, whosoever believes, okay, that implies there's a choice. That implies that people have got to make up their minds if they're going to serve God, if they're going to, as the um, question asked, accept Christ. Because we're also told, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever calls. The implication there's some people are not going to call on the name of the Lord. So looking back at our question, will a man with a good heart, doesn't steal, cheat, doesn't lie, burn in hell if they don't accept Jesus? Do ultra-religious Christians believe that? Now his assumption is that one can live a perfect, sinless life, and that we can earn our way to salvation. And that, that assumption is faulty. That assumption assumes that we can uh, do good works and God will keep track of them and say, okay, you did enough good works, you can come into heaven. But here's the problem. Romans 3.23 said, well, actually, let's start in verse 21. Now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes the man who has a good heart, doesn't steal, cheat, and doesn't lie. Because I guarantee you he has sinned somewhere. Most likely he's probably told a lie because everybody has been not defending it, but... Let's face it, lying is something everybody does at one time uh, or another. We also have to consider that the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither his heavy or his ear heavy that it cannot hear. This is Isaiah 59. And then he goes on to say, Your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So just picture you're on one side of the Grand Canyon, God's on the other side. How are you going to reconcile that gap? Well, our choices result in separation from God. We have all sinned. We have all been separated from God. For the wages of sin is death. This is Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I want you to notice the difference there, the wages of sin. That is, a wage is something that you earn. You get a paycheck every week or every month uh, when you work on a job. But the gift of God, you see, Paul uh, here does not say that the wages of obedience is eternal life. He says the gift is eternal life. The gift that God gives is eternal life. Now, just think about it. If you work all week, and on Friday afternoon, you're getting ready to go. The boss comes in and says, hey, I got a present for you. Okay, cool. What is it? And he hands you your weekly paycheck. Oh, whoa, dude, wait a minute. This isn't a gift. I worked for this. I put in I put in 40 or 50 hours this week to earn this. So it's not a gift. Now, if he gives you that plus, uh, slips you another envelope with some cash, and he says, here, uh, go home, get a babysitter, take care of the kids. You take your, your wife or your husband. You guys go out and have a dinner, have a nice evening on me. 
that's a gift. You didn't ask for it. He just gave it to you out of the, out of the, because he felt like giving it to you. That is a gift. That's what salvation is. Kind of a crude example, but that's the best one of the best ways to illustrate it. A gift uh, in the original language, in the Greek language, charisma, is where we get our word, obviously, charisma. But Vine's Dictionary says that a gift of grace, uh, or it says that a gift is a gift of grace, a gift involving grace, on the part of God as the donor. It is used of his free bestowments upon sinners, in other words, the free gifts that he gives us. Salvation, then, is a gift. Now, you got some conditions for a gift. You need three things for a gift. Number one, you need the giver. And number two, you need a gift. And then you need a recipient. Now, here's a question you need to ask yourself. Does the recipient have to accept the gift? Well, the answer to that is, obviously, no. You know, I've got a, uh, I have a, 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 some illustrations that I use uh, for this in sermons on my PowerPoint. One of them is a screenshot of a UPS delivery where it says the recipient was refused. The package was refused by the receiver and will be returned to the sender, and it's dated, and, and it tells you where they tried to deliver it and that sort of thing. It's all documented. You do not have to uh, accept a gift. So the answer there, obviously, is no. The recipient does not have to receive a gift. Now, when we look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, before uh, when he's standing before Festus, this is Acts chapter 26, and Agrippa is there, and in verse 24, now as he thus made his defense, that's, that's Paul, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. See, now these guys were close to it, but they rejected in the end is what happened. And then in Mark uh, chapter 5, where Jesus is dealing with some unclean spirits, it's an incident that took place on the southeast uh, side of the Sea of Galilee. And this was um, where he encounters Legion. That is this man that's living in the tombs, and he's got lots of demons in him apparently. And beginning in verse 13, the unclean spirits, Mark chapter 5, the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. And there were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine, and, uh, and, they, and so those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Verse 17, then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with Jesus. 
And however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis uh, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So you see, these people, Jesus came in, this guy was demon-possessed. When demon, uh, Jesus asked the demon, what's your name? He said, well, my name's Legion, because there were many of them. And a Roman legion had somewhere, a fully strength Roman legion, Roman legion had somewhere around 6,000 uh, people in it, if I remember right. But there were a lot there. And so Jesus, uh, they, they asked to be permitted to go into this herd of swine. So Jesus said, okay, go. They did. The herd of swine went over a cliff. Now, this is a Gentile area, and the swine, no doubt, those pigs, no doubt, had something to do with their livelihood. That could be why they told Jesus to leave. Don't really know. But they just says they asked him to leave. Jesus didn't stick around. Somebody once told me Jesus is the perfect gentleman. He won't stay unless he's invited. And so they wanted him to leave. So they rejected him. So then we come back to the idea of our, of a gift. There's a giver. God is the giver. The gift is salvation. You are the recipient. So based on all these examples that we've seen, will God force you to become a Christian? The answer is no. Salvation is a gift. So can you refuse it? Absolutely. You can, to use an old Elvis song, mark it, return to sender. The person who lives a life in rejection of God is in fact telling God to take back his gift of salvation. He has marked it return to sender. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. Now notice, these are all good things. But Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, so now here comes his conclusion. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descend, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. They recognized his authority. And notice he's saying that just being a good person isn't going to cut it. Revelation 20, verse 15, anyone whose name was not recorded or in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So in answer to the question uh, about whether or not a good person who doesn't lie, cheat, steal, is God going to uh, send him uh, to hell? Well, God doesn't send anybody to hell, really. You send yourself there. So a good man with a good heart doesn't steal, cheat, doesn't lie. Will he burn in hell if he doesn't accept Jesus? I would debate whether or not a human even has a good heart because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. And the fact here's something I think another thing that this uh, this questioner is missing. The fact that God has even given us one way to get to him 
is something to be truly thankful for because he didn't have to do it. God is holy way up above anything that we could ever aspire to. We are way down here. I'm holding my hand way down below the table here. There is such a gulf between us that the fact that God has even one way is something that we really need to just be truly thankful for. And uh, the person who asked this question, if you are not a Christian, I would urge you to find somebody, contact uh, us through the uh, the Shout It Out page or through social media, and let us teach you or get you in touch with someone in your area who can teach you the gospel and teach you what you need to do to be saved because you cannot get into heaven without Jesus. That is what the Bible says. Not me talking. That's just what the Bible says. So that's my encouragement for you is to find someone who can lead you to Christ and teach you what you need to do to be immersed into, into Christ, to have your sins forgiven. And so there's the answer for it. Uh, thank you for having me on the show, and we'll see you next time, Stevie. Thanks for having me. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
Light Radio Show. Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific need. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. These are program reminders. Stevie B Media Production presents We're Airing Live Shows here on Blog Talk Radio. Telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. Or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website, www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening, I'm hosting a live show, What a Woman the Lord radio show, the second, the third, and the fourth Tuesday of the month. The second Tuesday of the month, I'm hosting a live show that starts from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, and we have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ who will be making a proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And also during that show, we have the Community Corner segment that segment is designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our community. I also have uh, two co-hosts on that show, Lou Gilbert, he's the evangelist for the Old Book Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Isa Mullins, he serves with the Church of Christ there in Cary, North Carolina. 
Then on the third Tuesday of the month, that show will air from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host is Dr. Antherica Lane. She's a board-certified obstetricianist and gynecologist. And she also serves with the Great Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio. She'll be hosting her show, Conversation with Dr. Lane. And then on the fourth Tuesday of the month, that show will air from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host is Kelly Fletcher. She serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. She'll be hosting, she'll be hosting her show, The Kelly Fletcher Show. And then on Thursday evening, each week from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting a live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show. And I have seven co-hosts on this show, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Steve Cordo from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Courtney Brothers from the state of Illinois, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. On that, on that show, we'll be, my co-hosts will be presenting lessons from the Word of God, and each week I have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. I'll also be taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook, so I'll be posing to one of my co-hosts on that live show. Then on Friday night, I'll be hosting a live show, Stevie B. Acapella Gospel Music Blast, and this show is the recipient for the 2022 Nakama National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artists Award for Outstanding Achievement in Record or Radio. And that show will air from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on this show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the Sweet Sounds of Voices. We're also interviewing artists, producers, uh, and we also debut a new music and featuring old music on that broadcast as well. And every third Friday of the month, I'll do my top 20 countdown show, so that'll be this Friday night. I'll be counting down my top 20 acapella gospel songs for the month of April. And we also have on-demand episodes wherever you're getting your, very, well, wherever you're getting your favorite podcast from, uh, from the various musical platforms, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, just the name of few. And also we have recorded version shows. These shows were album debuts mostly. I use the same playlist from the same uh, live show that aired on Blog Talk Radio. I just took my voice out of the live show. And you can only hear these shows on iHeartRadio, on Deezer, and also on Amazon Music. Just search for Stevie B. Recorded Version Shows. And I also want to thank my sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. If you want to become a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. The three E's of Stevie B. Media Production, it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in the study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Life Radio Show. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Gospel Life Radio Show. I give you the honor. I give you the praise. Okay. 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Courtney Carruthers, from the Colonial Village Church of Christ. Good evening once again, and thank you for the privilege, Brother Stevie, to come on the show and to uh, express, some love, express some thoughts of God's love to those who are listening and how God um, this proclaims his love to us. We do know that his love is exemplary from the fact that he sent his only son, Jesus. He gave heaven's best 
to take us worse, to save us from sin. And his love is through the fact that he constantly gives to us the best he has. He let us know how much he cares for us. We are living in a time of uncertainty, and we need to hold on to words that are certain. And thus the word of God is certain. Because even Jesus says in John 8:32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Uh, even Jesus says in Luke chapter 4 that the, Spirit, I, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for it has anointed me to preach the gospel. And in that same text, he says, and to set the captives free. There are so many things that are keeping us from enjoying God's blessings around us. And thus we appreciate the wisdom and the strategy of this broadcast to encourage us throughout the rest of this day to know that God desires for you and I to be free from any anxiety, any um, setbacks, any trials we're going through. The best, however, way to to depend on God or rely on God, which the word trust means, is to have assurance of the fact that the way he blessed others in difficulties and delivered them, he too will bless us and deliver us. doesn't mean, however, we'll be totally uh, free from chaos and harm but God knows how to shield us, enamel us with grace so that we will not be moved in our faith. The Bible lets us know that we are called by the gospel and that when one is called by the gospel to be saved, it is, a, it is an immediate response. We do know this according to Acts 22.16 where he says, Paul says, and now why tarriest thou, or why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Peter concludes it by saying in 1 Peter 3, 21, the light thing went to baptism does also now save us, not the putting, putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. God, and then James says, what is your life? It is even more than a vapor that appears a little while and then vanishes away. God desires for us to receive him because we do not know what tomorrow may hold or will we see tomorrow. And thus, we pray that with attentive ears and an open heart, we will understand what God is saying to us as he breaks open the word of God. Look with me, if you will, now, from at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, starting at verse 1. We'll read a couple verses there, starting at verse 1. Our Bible states as follows. Um, Hebrews 7 and verse 1. For thus Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who 
met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all that of all first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarchs, Abraham gave the tenth of the spoil. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithe of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they, they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here, men that die receive tithes. But there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I and as I may also say, Levi also who receiveth tithes, pay tithes to Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Thus is the reading of Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. The scope today or the objective of reading this is to simply point out that Jesus still lives, that he is a remarkable king, he is a remarkable high priest, and his salvation is also remarkable. And because of that, we give our lives to him, we give our blessings to him, not only in money, but also trusting him with our whole being. We know this to be a fact because our spiritual salvation comes um, our spiritual salvation comes from Jesus. Hebrews chapter nine, verse twenty six to twenty seven states Hebrews nine, twenty six to seven states. Um, these words, Hebrews nine twenty six. For there must be, for there must be. He often, having suffered once, um, be once the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, has he appeared. To put away sin. He appeared to put away sin. He that by the sacrifice 
of himself. And as it is appointed once unto men once to die, but after that, the judgment. There is a, re, a re, there is a, a continual thought of the word appear out of Hebrews 9, verses 24 to 28. The word appear in verses Hebrews 9, 24 to 28 is to talk, is to show the prevalent power of God's presence in saving man from sinful predicaments. Prevalent, present, prevalent power to save man from the sinful predicaments. I want to show the, the, the word appear. Look, if you will, at verse. Um, 24, verse 24, the Bible says, For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are his, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven, it, uh, but into heaven itself now, to appear in the presence of God for us. He appears in the presence of God for us. In other words, he is now our mediator. He is the link of our to our covenant with God. That as long as one is in Christ Jesus, through the gospel plan of salvation, as it was so uh, given as it was given so well with the question period that our salvation with Jesus is that we are born into the family of God. And God now testifies on our behalf that his blood has cleansed us. That's verse 24. Then in verse 26, he mentioned has appeared to put away sin. Every man we know has sinful passion, but we don't have to be empowered. We don't have to have sinful, uh, be sinfully uh, kept in, by it, because as long as we look up to Jesus, hold on to Jesus' word, live with those who have the same value of Christian living, we can overcome sin. And we must be cautious and careful of considering our thoughts and our activities because tomorrow is not promised unto man. Jesus has come to put away sin. Therefore, the ideal then is how does one have the sin put taken away? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through water baptism. And somebody said, well, I thought you just said through the blood of Jesus. Yes, because when they pierced Jesus in the side, out forth came blood and water. Blood and water coagulated together. You may not see the blood in your baptism, but you'll see the water. The water symbolizes a burial to a, in a resurrection of a new life. Just as a baby breaks water from the mother's womb, 
We bring water from the womb of the gospel and set into the family of God. Then lastly, the word appear is given in verse 28, where the Bible says these words. Verse 28, it reads, So Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, Everyone listening, at the sound of my voice and on a continual basis when the, when Stevie B is on, that we preach that Christ can take away the sins of many. But we have to have faith in the operation of how he takes away the sins of many. It is done through one hearing the gospel, Romans 10, 17, so then faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It comes by believing in what we heard, being assured that his word is true. That word believeth is he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We must come repenting, making up our minds to turn away and live unto Jesus Christ. Luke 13, 3 and 5, nay, I tell you, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And then confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which art in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. Then be buried with him and the watery grave of baptism. Baptism is a command. According to Hebrews chapter 10 with Paul, when the Bible says that Peter commanded um, Cornelius and his household to be baptized. Now, moving on with our thoughts tonight, I wanted to show we need to re, uh, re open up with this thought, and that is we understand that according to Hebrews 2, 1 to 3, that Jesus has come to save mankind and that we offer ourselves because he is, he is the true essence of God's righteousness. Hebrews 2, verse 1 through 3, says, How shall we escape and we neglect so great salvation? That's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. How shall we escape and we neglect so great a salvation? Um, Hebrews 2, I'm sorry. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the thing which we have heard. We ought to give them more earnest heed to the thing which we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Once you become a child of God, and we pray that you will answer the call to salvation. But you must, in order to remain steadfast in the safety belt of salvation of Jesus, we must continue here where we first heard in the beginning of us becoming a child of God. The Bible says, unless we let them slip. The phrase, the word slip means to float by or drift past as a ship or to flow past as a river, figuratively to slip away, suggesting a gradual and almost unnoticed movement past a certain point, figuratively a person's meaning to glide away swerve or deviate from something such as the truth. And we do know 
that men are deviating from the truth. The Bible says that in the last days, in the last days, or for the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but will heed to themselves, teachers having itching ears. And we want to confirm over and over again that the only true way to get be saved and stay saved is, conti- is to continue to live and listen to the word of live by the word of God by listening to the word of God. Not only is our spiritual salvation in Jesus Christ, but our spiritual security is in Jesus Christ. According to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, where it says, Moses was a faithful servant in the house, but God is over the house. And we pay attention to one who built the house and is over the house. The house symbolizes the church. The church is an organization, or the church is a community of the kingdom of God. Simply stating this, that because the church is a community of God, the kingdom of God, our, our, spiritual, our spiritual ethics, our spiritual value is by the governing word of God that when we go in and out of the world, we are representing the kingdom and the king of God, the king of our Lord. We are representing King Jesus. And so then not only do we have spiritual salvation and spiritual security, but we have spiritual support. We have spiritual support from the strength of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 suggests with spiritual security, sincerity, uh, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. This truth, in other words, they were teaching how could God know what we're going through. Well, Hebrews chapter 415 says, um, we have a high we do not we have a high priest who should not be touched with feeling of our infirmity. This truth was especially amazing and unbelievable to Jews. They knew that God was holy. They knew that God was righteous, sinless, perfect, and omnipotent. They knew his divine attributes and nature and could not comprehend his experience, him experiencing pain, much less temptation. Not only this, but under the old covenant, God is dealing with his people with more indirect, more distant, except for special and rare instances. Even faithful believers did not experience his closeness and intimacy and the way that all believers now can. Jews believed that God was incapable of sharing and feelings of men. He was too distant, they thought, too far removed in nature from man to be able to identify with our feelings and temptations and problems. If comprehending God's sympathy was hard for the Jews, it was even harder for most Gentiles of that day. The Stoics, whose philosophy dominated much Greek and Roman culture in New Testament time, believed that God's primary attribute was apathy. Some believed that he, is, he was without feelings or emotions of any sort. The Epicureans claimed that the gods lived intermediate between the physical and spiritual world. They did not participate in either world and so could hardly be expected to understand the feelings 
problems, and needs of mortals. They were completely detached from mankind. Weakness in this text does not refer directly to sin, but, but to feebleness to infer, or infirmity. It refers to, in all, to all the natural manifestations of humanity, which I ever include liability to sin. How did Jesus overcome sin that he may be the true scapegoat for our sin, the true shepherd of our soul, the true sheep sacrificed and to blot away our sin? How could Jesus do this? Well, the first test of his humanity by the word of God exiting from the heavenly strength of presence of God on earth is founded in Matthew 4. That after he was baptized, he was led up of the devil. And Matthew 4, to be tempted of the devil in the wilderness, abandoned, alone, um, obscure from every life. But only one thing he had was God on his side and Satan in front of him, tempting him. God on his side emphasizes the word. And what we need today to know that God does understand, that God is united in our pain, our pressures, and our problems, and our despair, is to have the word of God. Yeah, the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, he, he making me to lie down in green pastures. He leaded me beside the still waters. He restored my soul. He said to take me before me in the presence of my enemy. God can protect us. Even in the face of problems, just like he was facing problems from Jesus, he said Jesus tempted came to him. Forty after afterwards, he was hungered forty days and forty nights. And the tempter said, "If thou be the Son of God, command that the stone be made bread." Jesus said, in reference, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There are times in our life that we may think about committing what is called Spiritual suicide, because we don't think no one understands, but God does understand. And that's why he says, man, uh, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, we need to tell the world that we do believe in God and that God is alive and he does live because his word inspires us to be comforted. That's why Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have not I would I would I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am then you may be also. The word comfort is the word we would call paraclesis, that the spirit of God come near to us in time of trouble. He is like a mother uh, who takes the son from the living room on the couch, wraps him up and takes him upstairs into his bedroom. God is going to take us from the living room of the earth and to the bedrooms of heaven where he wraps us with his love and, 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 and wraps us with his tender mercy and wipes the brow of our face and tell us that, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So here, looking at this thought then, some believe that he was without feelings or emotions of any sort. Therefore, we say they were completely detached from mankind. Weakness in this text, again, does not refer directly to sin, but to feebleness or infirmity. It refers to all the natural limitations of humanity, which, however, include liability to sin. Some may wonder how Jesus can identify with us. He did not actually sin as we do. It was Jesus facing sin with his perfect righteousness and truth. However, 
that qualifies him merely experiencing something does not give understanding of it. A person can have many successful operations without understanding the least bit about surgery. On the other hand, a doctor may perform thousands of complicated and successful operations without ever having had the surgery himself. It is this knowledge of the, the, of the disease, it is his knowledge of the disease or the disorder that his surgical skills is treating it that qualifies him not having had the disease. Therefore, in the context of Hebrews 7, we now get into the most intimacy, intimate part of why we trust in Jesus and how that he exists for our spiritual well-being. So I'll ask you to give me a couple more minutes, and we're going to break this down. By way of bringing in the spirit of, by way of bringing the spirit of our topic, it is generally necessary to tie in Hebrews 7, 1 to 7 for the sole purpose of fulfilling the author's application of fascinating of faithful of fascinating the faithful followers of King Jesus. And by way of doing so, we must allow the text to pre-introduce to us some historical claims about the major character within the context of Hebrews 7. The writer of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews first introduced Melchizedek in chapter 5. But before he could uh, explain the significance of this ancient priest, king, he gave the warning to the immature Jews who could not bring themselves to accept Christ as the Savior. So we want to engage you tonight from Scripture to accept Jesus as your Savior. Is as we preachers of today are having difficulties in, in bridging people to accept Jesus as the Savior, writers, apostles in this time had difficulties. But God gives the increase. And we're hoping that God will give the increase tonight that someone will come saying, men and brethren, what must I do to be saved? Because I understand that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So here, in comparison to Melchizedek, before he could explain the significance of this ancient priest, king, he gave the warning to the immature Jews who could not bring themselves to accept Christ as the Savior. According to Hebrews chapter 5, 11, to Hebrews 6.20. At the end of this, of the beautiful encouragement to believers about the security of salvation will follow that warning. Jesus again is said in Hebrews 6.20 that he's made a high priest forever. I will have you to underscore forever. The forever is after the order of Melchizedek. The emphasis of the word order is given, here it is, the emphasis of the word order is given to signify that Jesus now carries the weight of glory. Jesus carries the weight of dignity. Jesus carries the weight of power and preeminence. For the word, word order means rank and quality. All right? Let's, let's pause now. Rank and quality. He's first of everything. The first son of God, the first being, first, the first one to rise from the grave, the first one to die and rise forever. He is now a high priest who is constantly making intercessions for us 
by sacrificing himself over and over and over again. The priest back then could only stay in the Holy of Holies for a little while. They had to do their business and get out of the tabernacle. But we, Jesus is there forever, sitting on the right hand of God, expressing, expounding, and, and, and showing God that we are now his children, his sons and daughters, through the blood that he's offered on the cross. We are not at this point of arguing or an apologetic matter of saying what church is right, because no one really will understand what church is right until they understand the purpose of rank and quality of Jesus. And when we understand the rank and quality of Jesus, nothing else that he took, did not build cannot supersede the rank and quality of what he built. Jesus said, here it is, upon this rock, <clears throat> I will build my church. Church signifies a called out community, the ecclesia of God. It is although the, those who make up the church are part of that rank and quality. We have a better quality of life, a better quality of love, a better quality of living, and that comes through us being united with Christ as the church of Christ, the body of Christ, the way God nourishes body. He nourishes us through his word. That's why the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So why? Why do we admonish one another through the teaching of the word of God? So that we can have the rank and quality of life that God expects us to have on this earth and for eternity. Here it is again, the rank and quality, dignity. So when we talk about the rank and quality, Jesus carries the weight of dignity. He carries the weight of power. He carries the weight of glory. He carries the weight of preeminence. The word order, again, means rank and quality. But it is the case, but in the case of Jesus, he is the son of God. By making sense of this historical claim about our major character, provides us with the information that some say that Melchizedek was an angel that took on a human form while during the time of Abraham. But the priesthood was a human form, was always in human form, not angelic. Functions, and that will make our subject and the argument of the author are warranted according to Hebrews 5.1. Others suggest that he is actually, uh, not just typically, Jesus Christ himself, who took a pre-incarnate form during Abraham's time. But Melchizedek is described as made like the Son of God, according to Hebrews 7.3, not as being the Son of God. Melchizedek was a historical human being, and to priestly ministry typifies that of Christ, a man whom God designed to use as a picture of Jesus Christ. Therefore, our subject, the less is blessed or the better, is fitting within the historical setting to set the stage of Jesus' covenantal uh, enterprise of enveloping all of us to be saved by the faith of the gospel, according to Hebrews 4, 1 to 2. Let me close by reading Hebrews 4, 1 to 2. Uh, Hebrews 4, 1 to 2 says these words, and we'll read a couple more passages out of Hebrews, but starting with verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us um, entering into his rest 
any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them that being mixed with faith in them that heard it. In order to really appreciate what we're talking about and what was said earlier in the question format, it must be mixed in with faith. Faith is having a reliance of God that what we show according to Scripture, it is true. We, the purpose of the Hebrew letter is to remove the Hebrew children, the Israelites, from an old system to a new system of love and a better covenant that's written in their heart to motivate them to know that the law was not given to show how righteous they are. The law was given to show how unrighteous and that they need a Savior who is righteous, who can, be, who can mercifully and gracefully speak on our behalf. My question tonight then, do you want God to speak graciously and mercifully on your behalf? Well, he has already done it. How did he do it, preacher? By dying on the cross. He already seen the pitiful state we're in. And by his passionate death, his passionate resurrection, and his passionate return to, to, to be witnessed during the 40-day passion, and now will return again, he wants us before he returns to become his sons and daughters. The song we used to sing, Oh, Why Not Tonight, it's still relevant. It is still needful. If you hear these words, you trust these words, we pray, as the last preacher said during the question period, find the local church in your area, the local church of Christ in your area, and tell them I was listening to the Gospel Light Radio. And they explained to me by expounding on the Word of God that Jesus is ranking quality. Anything that Jesus built, such as the church, is ranking quality. No other church can save, no other gospel can save, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, my brothers and sisters, that you will hear and receive and, 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 and accept the righteous plan of God's salvation uh, before it's everlasting too late. God loves you. We love you. And may you have a peaceful night. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity, the open-door ministry through this Gospel Light Radio program, to speak to those who are searching for the truth. And we pray that they are able to see the, 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 the truth of God as being loving and long-suffering to us where not willing that any should perish. But after hearing the word of God, they too will say, like the Ethiopian unit said in Acts chapter 8, what must I do to be saved? And that is to be buried with him in the water of grave baptism. Bless the radio coordinators. Bless them as they strive to make it possible for people to hear sound doctrine, healthy teaching from God's word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Length Radio Show. Will you forgive me? For I've done wrong. And will you accept me, Jesus? As I kneel at your throne, dear Lord, and all of my brothers, he will always criticize and accuse. Yes, he will, but I know that my Jesus, he will make me brand new. Your blood is strong. 
storm again. Please wash, wash me free from, from the stains of all of my sin. I'm ready at oh, my bidding, Lord. Lord, hear my sin, please. Cause you're a God of second chance. Yeah, yeah. I see them cry. And they each have a stone. Dear Lord. But you knelt beside me, Jesus, and my fears are all gone, praise God, cause you give me peace, peace
And it was only because of his grace and his mercy that we're here today. Because the Lord is long-suffering, not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And see, repentance, that's the key. Because in repentance, that's where you learn to turn around. And God gives you a second chance. You turn from selfishness. Turn towards godliness. You turn from anger. Turn toward joy. You turn from hatred. Turn towards love. My brother, my sister, God will give you a second chance. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our show. I want to thank you for spending a little time with us this evening in a study of God's Word. I want to thank both of my co-hosts, Dr. Frank Washington and Courtney Carruthers. You could tell these brothers love to preach the Word of God. They both did a great job here on the broadcast tonight. And I don't take any of this for granted. They, I really do appreciate their efforts that they extend to this program each week. And I also want to thank my co-host, Steve Cordo. He answered our shouted out question. He really put his thought and heart into the answer. And you can tell these brothers are really studying to make sure they get these answers correct. And I certainly appreciate their efforts. This is my prayer, ladies and gentlemen, that things that you heard on this broadcast have been beneficial to your spiritual lives. And your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in this radio broadcast, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word. So until we meet again, I pray God's continued blessings upon your lives and that he bless you real Real good. You've been listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. On behalf of all of my co-hosts here, we really do appreciate your love and support for these programs. I'm your host, Stevie R. Butler. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I Come on, we're moving on.
coming back real soon. Together to save and bless And take us to a place of no more trouble Where the weary will be at rest So don't let the world get you down No matter what folks may do Say you're moving on up to the sky To a mansion prepared just for you So pack your bags, we're moving on Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.